Let us, turn in, let us turn in God's holy word to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. And we'll read the first 24 verses. Let us hear God's holy word. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these, three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could not find no charge or fault because he was faithful nor was there any error or fault found in him then these men said we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God so these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him King Darius live forever all the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and the satraps, the counselors and advisors, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for thirty days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing, so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore King Darius signed the written decree. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within thirty days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. So then, so they answered and said before the king, That Daniel, who is the one of the captives, of Judah does not show due regard for you, O king, uh, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored to the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, 
And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. Then the king rose very early in the morning and in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths so that they have not hurt me, because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury, whatever was found on him, because he believed in his God. And the king gave command and they brought those men who accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children and their wives, And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Therefore, before they ever came to the bottom of the den. Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and infallible word. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Prayer is one of those amazing blessings that come to us from God. Isn't it an amazing blessing that we can talk with and communicate with the one who has created us, the one who provides for us, the one who has given his only begotten son to redeem us? We can go to him in prayer. For a Christian, what we recognize is that prayer is absolutely necessary. It's like the very breath that we breathe physically, so spiritually, is prayer. Prayer is just as important as our words and communication in relationships. It strengthens our relationships also with God. Prayer is essential in worship. This was all essential for the Lord Jesus Christ. It was It was necessary for Jesus, who was in perfect fellowship with his Father, to call upon him in prayer, to go up into the mountain and pray to his Father, to be in communion, in communication, and in life with his Father. Well, that's where Christ received also his wisdom through his Spirit, right? And even in his earthly ministry. And so, even as the world hated Christ for that wisdom, the more you and I are with the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer, with God in prayer, the more the ungodly will also despise us, just as they despised Daniel. What we need to recognize is that the Satan and the world will do everything in their power to deprive a Christian of the blessings that God has left us with in this world to strengthen our relationship with Him. That's why we see the denigration of marriage in our culture, the denigration of family, 
the denigration of Sabbath, all blessings left after the fall. And what happens when, they, when these blessings become more and more denigrated or depleted or even sometimes unjustly restricted? Then the prayer room becomes the war room, just as we find in Daniel. The prayer room becomes the war room. I'd like to look at this in Daniel chapter 6. And, and we're going to see that with three thoughts. We're going to see, first of all, Daniel's conflict. Secondly, we'll see Daniel's character. And thirdly, Daniel's confidence. Daniel was brought into great conflict. After the reign of Belshazzar, we find there Daniel had to interpret that dream that he was weighed in the balances and found wanting. And, and there, Belshazzar uh, is, is really taken off the throne. And, and, Dan, and Daniel survives him. And King Darius now becomes king. And King Darius has now made Daniel part of his governing body, as we saw last time we looked at Daniel. And Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, we see that there was 120 satraps, to be put over the whole kingdom. And over those satraps, there were to be three governors. And Daniel was one of those governors, the closest, you might say, to the king. And Daniel was even distinguishing himself among the governors uh, because of that excellent spirit that was within him, that spirit of wisdom that God had given him, as we found in, in Daniel chapter 1 already. And the king gave him, uh, was, was considering giving him a position really over the whole realm, to be even over all of the governors. And so the governors didn't like this. The governors had animosity. They hated Daniel for all of these blessings. They hated him for his God-given wisdom and gifts that he had received. And so these governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find no fault because he was faithful. He was faithful in his service to the king, King Darius. There was no error or fault in him. And so they said, we can't find any charge against him unless we find it concerning the law of his God. Because they recognized that he served God above all. And in serving God, he was serving also the king. And so therefore, the satraps and the governors, they make a plan to trap Daniel into disobeying the king's decree. And so... In verse 6, we find the governors and satraps thronged before the king. And they said to him, King Darius, live forever. Live forever. And then they go on to tell him, all the governors of the kingdom. They kind of lied there, right? Because not, not Daniel, of course. And, and the administrators and the satraps and the counselors and the advisors, they all counseled together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. And so this was their plan. They wanted to, they wanted to try to get Darius to call the world, really, to bow before him as God and worship him and not to bow before any other gods for a whole month. This was the god of the month, King Darius. And he says, and they, and they say, now, 
And as you make this decree, whoever does so needs to be cast into the den of lions. Establish this degree, decree, and, and, and this decree is a decree that does never al- doesn't ever alter. This is the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. And so King Darius signs the decree. He didn't think too far. It sounded really good to him. But we're reminded, aren't we, of Daniel chapter 1. In Daniel chapter 1, we remember that Daniel purposed in his heart. Already when he was 14 years old, and now is over 80 years old, and is still purposing in his heart to be faithful to his God, to set his heart upon the Lord. And so what will Daniel do? Will he break his godly habits of praying to God three times a day? Well, for Daniel, there was no trial at all. We read in verse 10, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he knew it. The Bible makes it very clear. He knew exactly that this decree was signed. He went to his home, and in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as his custom since his early days. And you might ask yourself, couldn't have Daniel just missed one month of praying to God? Would have it been that bad for him to miss one month of praying to God? Wouldn't have God known his heart? Could he just pray to God in his heart? Did he really need to open up his windows toward Jerusalem? Couldn't have he done it when no one was looking? The question is a legitimate question. However, I think we should remember a couple things about Daniel. Daniel is now one of the highest governors even in all the land. And he likely had servants around him 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Where was he going to go and hide to pray? And, and think about this. It was not just any way or any anywhere that Daniel felt convicted to pray to. For we recognize that when Solomon dedicated the temple, he erected the temple in, the, uh, of, in Jerusalem, and he said, this temple is built now to, so that when we, wherever we are in this world, that the whole world can look toward Jerusalem and pray and call upon the name of the Lord. And so Daniel took that literally. And so he must pray toward Jerusalem. Open his windows toward Jerusalem to pray toward God to pray. What will Daniel do? Well, we know what he did. Immediately went to his home, opened his windows toward Jerusalem and knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed. What would you do? I'm not asking you what would you do if your friends are laughing at you for praying. That might be bad enough for most of us, right? Or people look at us funny for praying in public. I'm not asking you what you would do just to avoid the scorn of this world. I'm asking you, you would you do what Daniel did to avoid the lion's den. 
death. Maybe for you it'd be an easy decision. I, I just won't pray. Spurgeon, Spurgeon had a person like that one time. A person who is continually taking the name of the Lord in vain. And he said, do you realize that you're calling upon the name of my God, cursing him? I will pay you, um, I don't know what the amount of money was, but it was a fairly large sum of money. I will pay you never to use the name of God again. The man was overjoyed. I can, I can do that. I'll take the money. I just won't ever call upon his name. Didn't bother him a bit. And he had some money in his pocket to do it. Some years later, his wife and children were in great need. They had a great affliction in their life. And the Lord used that affliction to bring him to a necessity of prayer. And he was reminded of the deal he made with Charles Spurgeon. And he goes back to Charles Spurgeon and throws the money at his feet and says, here's your money. I need to call upon the name of the Lord in prayer. Would it be that God would also give us that grace? Also in our times of need and also in our day and our challenges. What would you do if you were Daniel? What do you do when you go to a restaurant? Are you comfortable to, to pray to the Lord? We have a good tradition. as You have been taught from your early days to pray for a blessing on the food that God has given you and give thanks for all the blessings He's given to you. I remember being in Lacombe. And I didn't have my own office, and sometimes the home wasn't the right place to counsel certain people. And oftentimes we would go to a coffee shop or something, and, and, and praying out loud in a restaurant. Praying silently, that's one thing, but praying out loud where maybe somebody else is even hearing you. It, it, it felt, feels a little bit awkward the first time or two that you do that. But, but are we willing to, to pray even if the world laughs at us and mocks us for our prayer life, are, are you too concerned about yourself and, and, and who you want to portray to your girlfriend or boyfriend that you can't pray together in your dating relationships or with your friends that you can't pray together at the end of an evening where you enjoyed, your, enjoyed fellowship together? Are you too offended by your God that you can't pray together with them? Are you too offended of your God that you can't have your neighbors come into your house and, and people in our society to come and gather with us for a meal or for a time of fellowship in our backyard and that we would be too ashamed to call upon the name of the Lord with them? Would it be too much to stand up at a at a party with our co-workers and to say it would be fitting to pray together. Can I lead you all in prayer? Are we like Daniel? Maybe we face different challenges. Maybe we don't face the lion's den. 
But the lion's den is maybe simply for us the scorn and the mockery of our neighbors, our co-workers, and maybe even our families. You see, a Christian is a prayer called a prayer warrior for a reason. There's a conflict in this world. And if you look at Ephesians chapter 6, you recognize that prayer is one of those weapons that God has given us in this conflict against principalities and powers. And so we also need to remember that a Christian is a prayer warrior. And one seasoned prayer warrior in the church is better than a minister of the gospel who only has the gift of gab. What would you do in this conflict? Does the prayer war room become a war room for you? Well, let's secondly look at Daniel's character. Obviously, we can see, we saw already his faithfulness to God in prayer. But I want to get deeper into his character than simply his faithfulness to God. I want us to see his humility and his submission as he kneeled before the Lord in prayer. Verse 10 we read, He knelt down on his knees three times a day. Does that mean we always have to kneel before the Lord in that position, in that posture? Not necessarily, but, but that Kneeling indicated that he was submitting and surrendering to his God above all. He didn't bow before King Darius and worship him. He bowed before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Kneeled before him first and foremost. There's once a church sign that had a sign up that said, He who kneels before God needs not kneel before anyone else. Now that's, that's a slogan. That does need a little bit of explanation. Because that could be taken the wrong way. He who kneels before God doesn't need to kneel before anyone else. It's absolutely true. But that doesn't mean that there needs to be arrogance in that kneeling before God. Daniel Daniel didn't make some kind of political scene out of out of kneeling before the, Lord, before the Lord and opening His windows to heaven. He wasn't standing on the street corner like a Pharisee, saying, look at me, I'm praying in defiance of the King. No, there was humility and submission to the Lord. And that means there was humility and submission to all of His Word. He honored the King. He was probably even praying for the King. We need to recognize that when we kneel before God and submit to God, we submit to all of His Word. We submit to to the first table of the law just as much as the second table. We submit to, to loving God above all equally to honoring those in authority. Could you imagine if your wife said, I will never kneel before you as my husband because... Because I kneel before the Lord. Or your children would never say, I will never honor you because I honor the Lord. Would you ever think that a student should say, I don't respect a teacher because I respect the Lord. Much less should citizens 
act in such a way. No, Daniel, his character was one of humility and submission to the Lord. And in doing so, he was humbling himself. And coming even under the consequences. Under the consequences of the actions that he was taking. There was humility and submission, but there was also thanksgiving. He gave thanks before his God. Have you, ever, have you thought of this? Daniel being thankful, having a thankful heart in the midst of such a trial. He's told not to pray to his God. And if he does, he's going to be thrown into the lion's den. How can you be thankful for this, Daniel? Maybe we look at some of the things that are happening in our culture, in our society, and, 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 and federally certain bills that are being made, and you say to yourself, the direction of our country, how can we be thankful? But he gave thanks to his God. Are, are we thankful? Thankful for the countless blessings that God has given us. Thankful for the voices that we still have in our country, thankful, thankful that we have a freedom to worship our God as He calls us. Are we thankful? Are we giving thanks to God? With humility and submission, but also in faith. He prayed with his windows open toward Jerusalem, as was his custom since early days. We know that Daniel was a hero of faith, as we find in Hebrews chapter 11. A true witness of faith. But what evidence do we see of his faith here in in Daniel chapter 6? We see that he looked to his God. Jerusalem, the temple, he set his face to the Lord God. I would love to hear his prayer. Again, we don't hear this prayer in Daniel. Or we don't know for sure anyway. But we know that he was praying and making supplication to the Lord in verse 11. Very similarly to how he was praying and making supplication to the Lord in Daniel chapter 9. In Daniel chapter 9, we have a beautiful prayer we hope to look at in weeks to come on prayer. But what we find in Daniel chapter 9 is in the first year of Darius, very similar time, Daniel calls upon the name of the Lord. He says in verse 3, I set my face to the Lord God and make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. You see his humility. You see his submission. And he prayed to the Lord God and made confession. He confessed his sins. And he pled upon the mercy of God, the God who keeps covenant and who has mercy within him. He prays to his covenant-keeping, merciful God. He has faith in him. He has confidence in him. You need to understand the importance of Daniel here in Babylon praying toward Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where the sacrifices were made in the temple, where prayers were offered by the priest, and and there he he and, and there God dwelt in the holy of holies among his people. 
So, so Daniel would set his face toward God in Jerusalem and see his mercies and by faith confess his sins and by faith look to the mercies of God, a covenant-keeping God. <clears throat> well, again, <clears throat> I ask you and I the same question. Are, are we prayer warriors I pray in faith, anticipation, with confidence. Uh, we don't set our faces literally toward Jerusalem like Daniel did, but we set our faces toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that He has ascended into heaven. And that there we have an anchor of our hope and an anchor of our faith that we may come boldly to His throne of grace for help and strength in times of need. We can come to Him 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. He ever lives to make intercession for us. And so just as Samuel Rutherford said, since He looked upon me and my heart is not my own, He has run to heaven with my heart and that's where my, heaven is, where my heart is. It's in heaven. And that's where I will call upon the name of the Lord. We look, we look to Him. We look to Christ who fulfilled everything that the Old Testament temple pointed to. And yet, we also look forward. Faith doesn't just look backward on what Christ has done, but it looks forward to the new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem that is set before the people of God that will one day come down out of heaven from God. And God will dwell with them perfectly without any spot, without any trial, without any conflict in this world. And we look forward in faith and pray in faith with thanksgiving and humility and submission before our Lord. Is that the character of our prayer? humbly submitting to the Lord with thanksgiving to Him, being filled with faith and confidence in Him. As we see that in our third point, don't we? Daniel had great confidence in his prayer. God, Daniel had great confidence placing his life in the hands of his God. Notice, notice first of all that false confidence of the governors and the satraps. They, their, their false confidence was this. The law is on our side. The law of the Medes and Persians. And that's why they go before the king again and again. O king, this is the law of the Medes and Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. And guess what? We found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And as they come before the king, they remind him of his decree. And now he must be cast into the den of lions. Their confidence was in the law. It was on their side. But that's not a place to put your confidence is in the law. The place to put your confidence is in the Lord. And they certainly didn't do that. And they had a false confidence. And so therefore, we could look at Darius. Darius also placed his confidence in the wrong place, didn't he? He put his confidence in princes and himself. 
Notice what we read in verse 14 when he heard this, that Daniel had now broken this command and now must be cast into the den of lions. The king, the king spoke, or the king, we, we read, was greatly displeased with himself. He, he hated the law that he had made. He hated the decree that he had made. And what did he do? He set his heart, remember Daniel 1, Daniel set his heart on God and to serve God. And here, King Darius is setting his heart on Daniel to save him. And he worked. He put all of his efforts. He put his confidence in himself. He put all of his efforts on the table to save Daniel. He worked and labored until the going down of the sun. But he could no longer, no longer avoid the consequences of this decree. He must cast Daniel into the den of lions. And so he gave command and brought him to the den of lions. In verse 16. But he spoke this to Daniel. There's some confidence. He expresses some confidence in Daniel's God. But I don't think he's real sure about it. As we find later. But he says, Your God whom you serve continually, He will deliver you. And then the stone was brought and laid at the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the signet rings of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Darius has placed him in the den of lions. But Darius has a sleepless night. He has a sleepless night. As he went to his palace, he spent the whole night fasting. There was no musicians brought before him to entertain him. No, his sleep even went from him. And the king arose very early in the morning. And he went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? He couldn't wait any longer to find out if Daniel's God was able to save him. His confidence was in man, was in princes. And yet, he sees the glory of God. He sees and he hears Daniel's voice. O king, live forever. Because I have rested securely with confidence in the arms of the Almighty God. Because God has sent His angel and shut the lion's mouth that they may not have hurt me because I was found innocent before Him. And also, King, I have done you no wrong. That's amazing. Daniel was the only one resting. Well, the satraps and the lords, they were probably partying all night long, rejoicing that Daniel's gone. It doesn't say that in the Bible, but I could only imagine. The king had a sleepless night. But Daniel, he rested in the arms of God. What do we find? His angel. He rested in Christ. A pre-incarnate Christ who came into the lion's den with him. 
who shut the king's, the lion's mouths, who turned the decree of the king and the trap of the governors on its head. Where else has God done this? He's done that even through His own Son. And here, don't we see in Daniel even a a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, a, a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, one who was gifted with wisdom, a wisdom that the world hated, yet they could find no fault in Him, that brought Him into conflict with the authorities, who set all kinds of traps for Him, who falsely accused Him of blasphemy, who condemned Him here on this earth to death, and who was placed in the grave, and the stone was rolled across it, sealed with the signet ring of Pilate himself. And yet, he burst the bands of death and rose out of the grave, and ever lives, just as Daniel exited the lion's den, so Christ exited the grave victorious once and for all. You see the picture? You see how Daniel here is even a type of the Lord Jesus Christ going into the lion's den. And yet Christ went into that lion's den with him. And why why was there no harm done to Daniel? Was he not also a sinner? we read why there was no harm found on him after he came up out of the lion's den there was no injury on him there wasn't even one scratch on him there's not a single broken bone on him because he believed in his God ultimately Daniel's faith Daniel's confidence was in his God who sent his only begotten son whose soul was ravaged in the lion's den whose soul was ravished in the lions of darkness and torment as he endured our hell on the cross of Calvary. The one who does such a thing could come and shut the mouths of the lions in the lion's den and preserve Daniel as a witness of who his God is. But let us never forget that Daniel also had a clear conscience, and that is absolutely important as well. He had a clear conscience before God. He had a clear conscience before the king. And that is essential in all things, is a clear conscience before God and the king. Because a righteousness, a righteousness that comes from God comes by faith. Yes, to be found innocent with God, before God, An innocence that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ, but also that he had done no wrong to the king. He was innocent before both God and man, and therefore had this confidence to come boldly to the throne of grace in prayer. And then we also know that God, with such a clear conscience, that the prayers of the righteous man availeth much, And that God will hear and answer prayer when our faith and our confidence is in Christ alone. But when it's not, we read of what happens in Jeremiah 11, verse 11. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will surely bring calamity on them, which they shall not be able to escape. 
And though they cry to me, I will not listen to them. You see, there needs to be a clear conscience before God and man. And there's only two ways for any one of us to stand before the Lord. There's either a way to stand before the Lord in the righteousness of of the Lord Jesus Christ and a way to stand before the Lord to be judged forever in eternity in hell. It comes with a grave warning, doesn't it? Literally a grave warning. Where we read in verse 24, the king gave the command and they brought those men who had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, their wives, and the lions overpowered them, broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. That was a grave, grave warning for those in Daniel's day. But it's a grave warning for you and I today as well. If we do not stand in the righteousness of God, in the Lord Jesus Christ, by faith, if our confidence to stand before God is not in the Lord Jesus Christ, then God will judge us, and He will judge all of His people with perfect righteousness, with perfect equity. And really, for a child of God, for a Daniel, that is a great comfort. Because God does judge perfectly and rightly. If we look at Revelation chapter 19, you see the comfort of that and the joy of that, even in heaven, where John sees the fall of Babylon, that great harlot, that's corrupted the earth and persecuted and killed those who were Christians. And he looked up from the fall of Babylon and he could see into heaven and the saints there are rejoicing and praising God for true and righteous are his judgments. He judges perfectly. And no wonder Daniel had such confidence in the prayer room because it's the war room of God. And when he could come into the prayer room with confidence in his God and the innocence of the Lord Jesus Christ imputed upon him, given to him, then there he could stand. And he could even kneel in that prayer room with his windows open to Jerusalem. in the very face of the lion's den. And so let us also, with a Christ-like character, engage in the conflict by entering the prayer room because it is the war room of God and God gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. O God, grant true war true prayer warriors in our midst. And we would continually, without ceasing, storm the throne of grace. That you, O Lord, would hear our prayer, not for our sake, but for Jesus' sake. That your kingdom would come and that you would reveal yourself to the whole world as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That you, O Lord, would be glorified in all things. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.